How's it going? Yo, yo, yo. Episode 60-something of (laughs) Cookie Pocket. Six. 66. Execute. Episode no, 66. <laughs> no. I had no. so much money in no. my own head no. running on that you no. would say that. We better, we better start this right now. Oh, you should already. Um, the director of this film is also has his own podcast. I found out. Fun fact. Oh wow. Anyway, oh. episode sixty-six will be about ten Cloverfield Lane, my favorite address. <laughs> I love going there. It's in Delaware. If you look it up, um, oh. it's a twenty sixteen American sci-fi psychological thriller thingy film directed by Dan Trachtenberg, his directorial debut, produced by J.J. Lens Flair, Ray Skywalker Abrams, and Lindsay Weber. Uh, Bear McCreary's, uh, Bear McCreary uh, composed the film, and his ominous score combined with Bradley Cooper's voice on the phone causes Ramona Flowers, assuming this is a Scott Pilgrim film, to crash her car. Her name is Michelle, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and she wakes up trapped in an underground shelter built and monitored by John Goodman's Howard Stambler. It also includes John Gallagher Jr.'s Emmett DeWitt. As it turns out, this is actually a Cloverfield sequel thingy. Sad. So, what did you think of this (laughs) film? Well, I suspect that Mitchell and I will have similar thoughts, so I guess I'll go first and sandwich Zach in in Mm -hmm. the process. Um, I landed on a 3.5 for this, but I really, 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 really enjoyed it, and I was quite captivated by it. A lot of times my ratings, especially here, are sort of like filmically motivated, um, less casual audience member motivated. But this is one that really kept, held my attention the whole way through, for sure, except sort of to the ending. I'm sure we'll talk about that in detail, um, but that was sort of where uh, the film lost my steam. Lost its steam. <laughs> Not my steam. <laughs> what would that even mean? I don't even want to think about that. Um, no, but the, all the things that basically everyone else has said are true. John Goodman is freaking spectacular. Um, if all you know of John Goodman is uh, Monsters, Inc. and Emperor's New Groove, uh, well, first go watch the, the Big Lebowski, and then maybe go watch this. Cause, uh, and then Raising Arizona. <laughs> yeah, too. Oh, He's yeah. just a phenomenal actor. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think this might be my favorite performance of his, weirdly enough. Mm, nah, Big Lebowski. Except Sully. This is it's Sully. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is great. Um, I was really interested to see John Gallagher Jr. I don't really know him a lot in film, but I know he was the original cast Johnny, which is the lead part in the American Idiot Broadway musical of all things. Of course. Oh. And um, <laughs> so I was a little dubious because uh, I-, I was in a production of that um, at my college, and uh, let me just say the 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 dialogue, like the scene uh, aspects of that uh, show, are are awful. Like truly, some of the worst written dialogue monologues I've ever scene <laughs> so i was a little <laughs> nervous but um and i was sort of like preloading in my brain the comment that his like theatrical tendencies would play well because they're in a bunker and they're all gonna be like going crazy but weirdly i thought he was quite subdued but in a way that totally worked um so that, that was nice i think they all play off each other really well um yeah very suspenseful I would say that you definitely don't need to watch Cloverfield before this. I definitely like this considerably more than I liked Cloverfield, and I think the connection is flimsy. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I encourage you all to give it a try, I guess. Yeah, it's... um, I enjoyed this a lot as well. This is a 4 out of 5. It's weird to think back to a time when the Cloverfield series was kind of a 
strange beacon of hope for like low budget filmmakers as opposed to a steaming garbage fire <laughs> um <laughs> because this this wasn't originally going to be a cloverfield film this i think originally was like written as like the bunker or something hmm. and then it was purchased to be a cloverfield property that was wow. loosely connected to the original film and so they like wrote on the end scene and added a few little things <sighs> to establish some kind of canon but mostly it was just an opportunity to give a big budget to a smaller film and a smaller filmmaker. Because I think this is Dan Trachtenberg's debut. I don't think he'd made anything before this. Um, so it was kind of an opportunity to give a smaller filmmaker money to make kind of a big film with big actors. And I think it turned out really well. Um, I mean, this is a very contained script. It feels, it, it's it's a bottle script. So it all takes place within maybe like, well, I say all. A majority of it takes place within, like, three to four rooms with only a handful of characters. Um, and th that's a difficult concept to write. I think a lot of people think, like, oh, well, I mean, it's so simple. Like, how, like there's so little to it. Like, how can that be possibly be difficult to write? But it's, it's very easy to get bored of those characters and those settings over the course of a feature if you don't handle it well. And this screenplay really does handle it in a way that... In a way, you kind of come to like all of the characters, sort of. I mean, even uh, uh, Howard. Yes, Howard. I mean, he, Howard. Um, at the beginning, you're kind of freaked out by him, but there are little details to his character that makes him feel like more than just kind of a psycho. I specifically wrote down um, his little detail about how he used to play pranks on the commanding officer in the Navy, where he'd freeze off the doorknob and then knock it off. Like that's such like a human detail that makes him feel more like a person and somebody that you're like, okay, well, maybe he's a bit of a nut, but he didn't seem that bad, mm -hmm. um, which makes the things that happen later in the film all the more uh, uh, tragic and shocking and, and keeps you even more riveted to it. So, yeah, just a really well-handled script, and I think the direction is totally functional, very smooth. It's not flashy or showy in any way, but this is a movie that really works, and I, I, I think it's probably the best Cloverfield movie. Uh, the third one you could maybe say is, is more imaginative, but it's by no means more successful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I gave it a three and a half out of five. Um, I'm not like a huge fan of these movies, and I'm also not a huge fan of either Winstead or Goodman, to be honest huh? with you. And like, I just, I, they don't, they just, they don't feel very like real to me I, d I don't know what it is like it just i'm talking about the actors not their performances i'm talking okay. about them specifically. just in general yeah, yeah in general um okay. and in this i think they do a really good job and like honestly i i was like i was pretty like it, it just doesn't feel like you should really be that engaged when you keep thinking about what the setting is and how how closed off everything is and how simple the story is but honestly like they did everything right where it felt like it was everything every single conversation they're having was very refreshing and like the the events surrounding them you don't really know much about so i kind of mentioned this in my review about like the hitchcockian influences there where it's like it's it's, it's this isolated setting and the, the 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 big main narrative you don't really know anything about and, and it just it's the conversations between the three characters and, and at least one or two of them figuring it out and like discovering why they're there and everything is what makes it really interesting and i feel like you could do a lot with that so like like zach said like handling the script i feel like was like the main reason why this works so well and i mean i i couldn't really i mean i guess you can imagine different actors for this but like honestly i, I wouldn't i wouldn't really change anything i think winstead's performance is particularly like intelligent and you know almost everything that she does has purpose 
and um, like Zach had mentioned about um, Howard being very humanized and everything, and and like there's really no way you couldn't couldn't sympathize with any of the three of them, I mean, even including um, Emmett. And I feel like mm-hmm. like Emmett was talking about like when he was in high school and stuff, and how his grades were bad, and he was like a track star and everything, and. Like he gives he gives backstory and he also kind of gives his own reason why he's there and why he believes what Howard's saying and it's like a third perspective you know that adds on to the story so I mean all all of that and like literally just the ending I think pretty much just kills it honestly and and I I mean mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it like completely ruins all the momentum or the believability or anything but like we'll talk about it later but it reminds me of something in a game and it, and it, and it makes me laugh a lot because the, the ending in the game is kind of a meme like it's purposely like not a real ending and it reminds me of this but but yeah i mean cloverfield connections aside i think it really works really well and there was never a moment where i felt like i was bored so um going on to my first thing uh so for mew mary elizabeth winstead is mew so if you want to say mew i trademarked it okay um, okay I'd so she was the only one. She she was the only one that was selected for the role, of Michelle. So they knew that it was going to be her. Um, the cast did not know the film name or connection towards Cloverfield until a few days few days before the trailer actually released, which is very interesting to me. Huh. Um, so how did the performances work here, and how did they stand out to you? I mean, I think I think the performances are really great. All the characters feel like people. And, and all the decisions they make feel like decisions that those people would make. Um, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to, to Howard again. I, I think a lot of the time in a movie like this, Howard would be written as, like, the wily old coot um, who's, like, just mostly a threat, and there's no, like, softness to him. But, the, I mean, I, a moment I particularly remember is after they, I think they, like, replace or reset an air filter or something like that, and he turns yeah. on the jukebox and does his little butt dance, <laughs> and, like, that that feels, like, so human and so much, like, something that an actual person would do, because even if somebody is, like, not very nice or kind of a nut or they're not somebody that you like, they still have those little things. They still have the little butt dances. That's, like, that's a human being, regardless of whether I can see it or not. Um... <laughs> And I mean, we also mentioned the thing with 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 Emmett, um, where he has his his high school track career and the bus ticket that he keeps in his wallet. Right, yeah. um, and I I also just like I like how Emmett just kind of like hangs around in various places in the the bunker, like how he's behind the shelves when she first meets him, and he he seems like very comfortable in this setting because he helped build it. Um, which I think is a nice detail. It's everything feels so so fleshed out. I mean, the woman that comes running up to the bunker later, uh, uh, Howard knows her because she was a neighbor. There, there's such like a world to it, and it it feels like everything has really been fleshed out in terms of who the characters are, how they know each other, what the world is. Uh, when you take screenwriting 101, they tell you that you should write up lots of background so that you know everything about your characters and your setting and whatnot before you actually write your script. A lot of people don't do that. They just go into their script and they figure things out as they go along. I feel like, I don't know if Dan Trachtenberg wrote this script, but whoever did write this script... He did not. Um, Damien feel... Chazelle was, I think, the first writer. Uh, I know who, he did part of it, yeah. La La Land. yeah. Um, it feels like, I don't know where along the scale, maybe it came from a bunch of different people writing the script, but it feels like there was definitely a pass or an original development process where those details were all thought about. I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere in the pitch packet to this film there was like... 
a map of the town and the farm and the surrounding area and how do these characters all know each other and how did she get to this area near the farm from where she originally came from it it, it feels as thought out as like i don't know like a, like, like the world of a role-playing game or something like that where like you've got your dungeon master who knows where all these characters are and what they're doing and what they're going to do next uh, very detailed and very well done yeah i definitely agree i think like what they choose to portray as detailed is very economical like and what i mean by that is i think michelle is probably the least detailed of the three characters strangely mm-hmm. even though i guess she's our main character um Oh, and let me just say, I'm absolutely devastated that I didn't put little butt dances on the rundown. Huge oversight. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think what makes it work for me is there's always, like, another step for is Howard a creepy evil guy or not. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. every every subsequent step totally works for me. And I went back and forth on the question several times. Um, massive spoiler warning, by the way, if you're, if you're liking what you're hearing so far. I don't want to ruin it for our for audience that hasn't seen it (laughs) mineral Um, ad (laughs) but when you do find out that he's like you know not the best guy (laughs) it's totally earned and i feel like i was i was jerked back and forth and not in a way that was cheap or like obvious red herrings and we've got this whole thing where where we learn pretty early on that he's the one that hits her and, and runs her off the road Mm-hmm. And that could have easily been written out to the end, but that was used like about like just long enough. I think I think he sort of admits to that like twenty yeah. minutes or so after we learn about it, and that's really important because it makes us think, okay, maybe he's not so bad, and like, yeah. he's, he's got these quirks, like Zach mentioned, and it's it's just great. And every conversation plays into the tension between the three of them, and yeah, I, I mean. I, I really have no complaints about any of the three performers. Oh, yeah. They're totally convincing to me. And honestly, like like Christian mentioned, the detail that we don't actually know about Michelle. And really, we just we learn about everything through our own actions. And in a way, we're kind of learning things from her perspective. And we're, we're, we're pretty much always, I think we're always seeing everything from her perspective, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and learning her, her learning about other things. And like Christian mentioned with the like learning that he's not that bad of a, he's actually kind of a bad guy um we never actually like know a hundred percent we in fact like most things we know about these characters are pretty unreliable um as we talked about like with or insinuate with emmett he he when he was in high school um he didn't have very good grades and he mixed up south korea with north korea we don't generally yeah. get the impression that he's a very bright person at least especially in contrast with howard and michelle and that also means like all the stuff that he's seeing maybe we don't we have to take everything that he's saying as a grain of salt or you know he had that weird reaction to her when she was playing that part at the dinner table um and and just in general like he wasn't very reliable and she's really the only like reliable one but but she's the one that's driving the plot forward she's not necessary we're not there to like learn about her backstory we just want to know how she got there and christian mentioned how it's very economical and that's like one of the main points for her is that we saw how she got into that situation. We don't know what her occupation is. We know that she likes drawing sketches for like dresses and stuff, and that's that's literally it. Like I'm pretty sure that's the only thing that we know about her. Um, and then her her ex is Bradley Cooper, but <laughs> otherwise. Um, and then yeah, I mean, I, we all we both covered it great. Like Howard is is a very 
you know, back and forth character. Like you really, you really feel like he knows what he's talking about, but we also kind of know that he's, he's coming from his own troubled past with his wife and his daughter and everything. Mm -hmm. And obviously he's making up with that in that, in like a very awful way. (laughs) And, um, and project projecting that on Michelle. Um, and him having like the conspiracy theory, like finally rolled out and like, you know, fully fledged, um, obviously it's not entirely true but it's interesting to know that most of what he's saying is true like we he he, he's obviously is a very intelligent person and Mm -hmm. and like did a ton of research and everything so it's not like he's totally oblivious but obviously you know the fear and all that caused him to be the the way that he was so they all three of them have different character motivations they all have different reasons for being there they all have their own opinions as to whether or not they should leave and they all feel very dynamic and very human so Really, no no complaints at all, and no complaints about the casting, either. Um, so the film originated as a speculative screenplay named The Cellar, uh, as Jack okay. wants to steal my thunder. Um, so it was Josh Campbell and Matt The Cellar, Stukin. not the bunker, you goober. Yeah. yeah <laughs> get your facts right. Josh Campbell and Matt Stukin uh, were the ones that wrote that originally, and then it was a Damien Chazelle later. I think, I think Damien Chazelle was one of the original writers on it, but anyway. There's, like, multiple iterations of this from that. Um, yeah. So it was taken by uh, Bad Robot Productions, J.J. Uh, Abrams, and then Paramount's Insurge Pictures as a micro-budget film codenamed Valencia. Um, so Damien Chazelle was busy with Whiplash. So he was actually going to direct this. Um, oh. Dan Trachtenberg took the helm. Um, and he said that Hitchcock, Twilight Zone, and video games were his main inspirations. So mm. <laughs> how do you feel like his di- directorial debut went? Oh, gosh. Well, I have no complaints, really. I'm just really curious to see what Damien Chazelle would have done had he had the time. Because, <laughs> yeah. Uh, gosh, I love La La Land, and I, I know he's a very like dynamic kind of guy. But, uh, yeah, I think Trachtenberg, I don't really know anything about him. but Apparently he's going to direct the next Predator movie, which is unfortunate. Huh. But There's I... a next Predator movie. Yep. <laughs> I might like to see that. Um because sure. yeah, now we're talking about Predator. I, <laughs> sidebar on Predator. I think Predator is best when it's like a tension piece about people in a, in a severe like situation yeah. rather than a big okay. dumb action movie. And I think that's where the Shane Black Predator failed and maybe the Dan Trachtenberg Predator will succeed. Back to the main discussion. No, fair, fair comment. Um, I thought the original Predator was boring and overrated. But uh, anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I Tension, I mean... All of this sort of springs from the fact that it's sort of a closed room drama type thing for me, and and it all feels very claustrophobic. But I also feel like we become very well acquainted with the space, mm-hmm. except for the the spaces that Michelle is less acquainted with. So I uh, visually, I feel like there's a pretty even correspondence between what she sees and what we see, and that feels deliberate. And so I, I guess I would say, as far as I can tell, it was it seems well directed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, honestly, I think I'm fine with the fact that Damien Chazelle didn't direct this film, just because I think that if he had directed it, it would have become less about the tension and more about the drama between the three of them in the cell in not the cellar, the bunker, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I feel like Damien Chazelle's kind of strong point is in the clashes between people and less the building of those clashes, which I think is a lot of what the script is about. Uh, I mean, that's totally speculative, of course. Maybe he would have done a great job. I don't know. But I think it would have been a very different kind of film. Um, What I will say for Dan Trachtenberg is I think he's 
he's a man who really knows how to play to his influence as well. Um, because this is definitely a Twilight Zone concept. Uh, there, mm-hmm. There's a there's kind of an episode of the Twilight Zone like this uh, that I think is called the Bunker, where like nuclear war breaks out, and this uh, this one man in a neighborhood has actually like invested in building a um, a, a nuclear bunker, um, and everybody in the neighborhood who are like his friends um, turns on him in like an hour as they're all desperately clawing to get into his bunker that can only house, like, four or five people. Um, So that's, like, a little half-hour concept, and obviously different to this film, but I think it proves that the concept can work in a Twilight Zone way, and I think there's definitely those Hitchcock elements as well. Uh, I think some of the Hitchcock content is almost brought on by the fact that um, this is a Cloverfield sequel, uh, Mm -hmm. because one of Hitchcock's classic things is... Um, it's always more suspenseful when the audience knows there's a bomb under the table, but the characters don't. And I think maybe the fact that because this has Cloverfield in the title, that we have some impression of, like, could there be aliens? I think there might be aliens, but the characters don't have that kind of an idea, or at least the seemingly level-headed characters don't have that idea, maybe adds to the tension in a certain way. Um, yeah, I think, I, I like I said, I don't think Dan Trachtenberg's direction is ever all that flashy. It's never something where I feel like, oh, this guy, this guy's got a real visual brand. I could tell a Dan Trachtenberg film from a mile off. But it's, it's very functional. It's very smooth. It really does work as like a Hollywood movie that's working to a smaller concept. And I, I, I like it a lot. I like how he plays it off. Mm-hmm. And it definitely comes off as, as pretty original, too. I mean, the I think there obviously are like scenes in this that out of context could be considered cliche and like the the fun montage maybe is like the first thing that comes to mind but it works so well and it functions so well because of what we don't know versus what we do know like we kind of know just enough where it's like all right this is like this kind of makes sense like them being together and bonding and and you know they're they're, they're not really questioning howard anymore for good reason now um and then it's only as they start discovering more and more things and we see them discover them um it's kind of when the tension builds up and for me, I think the moments where there's no dialogue are a lot less impactful than the moments that have dialogue, which is very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like the the like I feel like the like like how how dramatic it was supposed to be, like when she's going up the stairs, like or like slowly walking up the stairs, or limping up the stairs, or running up the stairs, for example, or like picking up certain things and looking at them, or there, you know, Emmett and her looking at something. And it's just the 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 score kind of doesn't help, honestly. I really don't. I, I like the score a lot, but I just I think it way overemphasizes certain like close-ups, and I just feel like it, it kind of mm. takes me out of the movie for like a split second, maybe. But mm. what they're actually doing and like how how that leads into the next set of dialogue is so like the tension is always high every time there's an engagement and conversation and every time they're talking with Howard, every time Howard walks into the room, like John Goodman is great at just standing around and being like impactful and just like scary, like Sully. He literally is Sully. He's like, (laughs) let's say boo. And you know, it's like, man, I don't want him finding the hazmat under my mattress, but um, (laughs) the freaking duck uh, thing. I don't want to spoil a rundown. That's probably a rundown, but anyway, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I, to- I really do enjoy the direction. I think you both really summed it up well. And honestly, I, I, I think 
I don't know if he'd be able to do something like this again, <laughs> but I definitely think he's taking, he, he takes what he knows very well, and I can definitely see the video game influences too, because it does feel like yeah. Michelle is like on a quest, and she's like trying to figure out what the next best thing is to do, and how to get out of the situation that she's in with like very good intelligence and awareness, and um, also that that's also with the addition of not totally like believing in her judgment 100% of the time because we also can believe Howard's ju judgment in certain moments and that back and forth and not totally investing into certain characters but even though with the knowledge that Michelle is the protagonist like at the end of the day I think I think that works awesome and I I really I mean that's for me that's one of the main reasons why it never gets boring um so yeah we'll go on that's pretty much all I had to talk about but this is the last thing um, so there's a viral marketing campaign for this, like the original Cloverfield. Mm -hmm. um, and Abrams said, those characters and that monster from Cloverfield are not in this movie, but there are other characters and other monsters. <laughs> and this movie is very purposefully not called Cloverfield 2 because it's not Cloverfield 2. So if you're approaching it as a literal sequel, you'll be surprised to see what this movie is. <laughs> While it's not what you might expect for a movie that has the name Cloverfield in it, I think you'll find that you'll understand the connection when you see the whole thing, end quote. So how does the connection, especially the ending, affect the quality of the rest of the Oh, JJ. Feel like it was necessary. You didn't need to say all that, JJ. <laughs> he, thought the name, he, okay. thought of, he thought of the name of this after Force Awakens. He was like, yeah, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, my God. I mean, he definitely didn't need to say all of that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe some of it, but yeah. we, don't need, we don't need a three-paragraph uh, three essay, yeah. Mr. Abrams. It's okay, JJ. I love Drive of Skywalker. Don't let them, <laughs> don't let them ruin it for you. Um, <laughs> Oh gosh, um, you know I didn't hate the end. It's not even that it was connected to Cloverfield, really. It was sort of like I saw the alien ship a a after she sort of breaks out, and I was like, "Oh, okay, this is why it's a Co Cloverfield sequel." And then there's like an alien like around the car, and I was like, "Okay, this alien's gonna be chasing her. Okay, whatever." But then she like takes the mask off and like seemingly interacts with a possibly still infected body. I know we don't really know the specifics behind the infection, but I felt like it was pretty quick for her to sort of drop a lot of precaution for that. And then she's like driving the car and then she like makes a Molotov cocktail and then uses it to, d to blow up the entire alien ship in like one yeah. throw. I was like, whoa, my, oh, okay. Also wow. whiskey you can, is not flammable, at least in that proof. It was 80 proof, so. Yeah, you can't so, even set that on fire, let alone cause an explosion. I was like, that was like, whoa, man, you didn't have to do all that. It could have just been like, <laughs> she dodges the one alien and then she drives away and it wouldn't. I would have almost preferred that. Um, yeah. It was just too much. Like, I could have, I could certainly have stomached the connection. Maybe I would have preferred there to be no connection. I was like, I was sitting on like 4.5 for a lot mm -hmm. of the real run time and the ending just really took took a lot out of it for me um because mm -hmm. it kept pushing and pushing and pushing but uh i guess credit for being imaginative i i, I guess <laughs> I, I i don't want to sound overly critical and it's it's really hard for me to grade this because i really really loved like the rest of it but mm -hmm. um yeah i don't know yeah i think um honestly i, th I think the full extent of the ending might kind of come from them being worried that they'd like because i don't think that ending was in the script i think mm -hmm. that ending was was added on i i, I want to say it might have been like a, a producer or a studio decision because they were worried people 
coming for a Cloverfield film would be disappointed. Um, as, yep. Which, honestly, I think all you need to establish that connection for people who actually care and people who aren't going just to see a thing that reminds them of another thing is, is <laughs> she stands on the car and there's a, a spaceship in the distance, like you mentioned, Christian. Yeah. And then you go, oh, maybe that's like a follow-up to the monster from the other film. I mean, I I think it's... Cloverfield Paradox is not a good movie. But mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's debatable that maybe that film handles its connection to Cloverfield better than this one. Yep. Um, I mean, it's it's certainly briefer. Um, I mean, you, you could debate whether it's more heavy-handed or not. But it's it's more of a surprise in that film and less of a... You ready for another twenty-five minutes? Um, that feels yeah. kind of extra and that we don't actually need. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Molotov cocktail bothers me too. I mean, admittedly, they did establish it. Um, uh, it, it is in like the first three shots of the movie, uh, but at the same time, she blows up the entire spaceship with one Molotov cocktail that I guess wouldn't even catch fire, and it, it yeah, it, it does bug me. It's it's a weak spot, um, and I I. I mean, I think it's kind of a shame that the Cloverfield series was kind of tanked by the third one, because I do think this sort of an anthology series is, like, an interesting idea of taking these smaller movies, and the only thing that really links them is this vague, like, Cloverfield title. Um, I know that the film Overlord, I don't know if you guys ever saw that, um, which is about, it's it's basically a Wolfenstein movie. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's basically about Nazi zombies, and it's a lot of fun. It's got Kurt Russell's son in it. Um basically playing Snake Plissken. Uh, but that was originally going to yeah. be the fourth Cloverfield <laughs> concept movie. And after mm-hmm. Cloverfield Paradox didn't do well, they took the Cloverfield out of the title and just released it as, as its own thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that the attempts to link this one to some sort of Cloverfield canon uh, don't, don't work, really. Yeah, and honestly, like Christian had said, I mean, I, I and, and I guess Zach said the same thing, um, I'm just agreeing with you guys. I'm, Everything you say is right. Um, yeah, just seeing like I, like seeing the the spaceship and that's it. Like just seeing the alien ship and that's it. Or having the little interaction with the alien getting away. All that would have worked. That little action thing at the end made no sense. It made no. It it, it it literally made no sense. It made no sense to the plot, and it really like especially after the third one and hearing like what Abrams was trying to make a Clover verse and stuff like that and just I I mean. I appreciated the little like references and and the the things that kept you wondering early on, like um, the the company that if you see the envelope that uh, that uh, Michelle uh, like puts her hand on when she's getting into the air filter area, um, I forget what the company's called like Futura or something like that. Um, and it was a part of the marketing campaign also. There used to be like a website and everything mm. for Howard. So that that company is the same one that caused that probe to land at the beginning slash end of the oh. first Cloverfield. Um, yeah. So they're trying to connect it in that way. Like maybe he lives on 10 Cloverfield Lane. So maybe he named that because the project was named Cloverfield or the, the government program like monitoring mm-hmm. it was called Cloverfield. Maybe he had like contributions to it. That's how he had early knowledge about it and how he was able mm-hmm. to prepare for everything. That That's great. Like there was two seconds you see, not even for the envelope to see that. And um he also talks about it. I think he like very offhand mentions it um, in dialogue. But, but yeah, I mean, I I'm fine with it being connected to Cloverfield. Uh, I mean, 
even just the name, even though we all pretty much know it was just named Cloverfield, like Zach said, just because it's Cloverfield, so people would see it again, <laughs> um, or people would go out and see it a lot more, which I, I don't know if that worked or not. I guess maybe it did. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm fine with it being connected. The way that it was done was just very haphazard, and I don't know. I, I just It really killed the, the mood, and... Honestly, like it, it, like a lot of Hitchcock films, it could have just ended with her just driving away with nothing. Uh, that, that would have worked great too, um, and just left us kept wondering, le- left us to keep wondering after that. Uh, yeah. Any other final thoughts? Um, I'll just jump in and say I like how so much of Howard's bunker is improvised mm-hmm. um, and just made out of things that he clearly had. Uh, I like that, like, her IV stand is made out of, like, a mop handle and, like, a part of a coat hanger. Um, and, like, that he, he's clearly just using what he has because his curtain for his toilet shower area has a big rubber ducky in galoshes <laughs> on it. Uh, and, and little things like that. And, and there's a lot of films in his film selection that it's very obvious that he probably didn't watch. He probably just went to the Hollywood rental and just bought everything because he has like cannibal airlines which sounds like a movie that i would tell you guys no it's great and then christian (laughs) throw something at me after we watched it um just little things like that where clearly he's making his bunker but on a budget (laughs) i do have one uh final i can't believe i almost forgot to say this and correct me if i'm wrong but this bugged me and this would have been the reason that i couldn't have given it five stars uh were the ending to be what i wanted it to be um I feel like everything technically that goes on in the bunker is explained except the electricity is just like they have seemingly endless power and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't feel like that's ever explained. There's just like, oh, there's just this generator that he never has to tend to and it's just always on and fine. And I was everything else is so like effective and deliberate and thoughtful that I was willing to forgive it to some extent, but it did kind of bother me that there was just like this one thing that was left unexplained. I also feel like the the plumbing is also kind of impossible because of like the depth underground and everything. And and that this doesn't, that doesn't work in real life. I don't think you can have plumbing go that far down, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I got the impression that the uh, uh, power was a result of the generator in combination with the acid he has. I thought he was using some kind of like rudimentary, like large scale homemade battery or something, and the acid was part of that. Um, because I, then I think the acid bugs me too. Because why does he just have a big old vat well, of acid? In he's his... a sadistic little terrible person. That sure, that I I, melts I think people. that's. <laughs> but that also that also kind of I feel like if the acid is unexplained and not part of like the system. That also makes him into more of like a, a Doctor Evil character, where like <laughs> I, I feel like for him to have that in a bunker where he would hypothetically be on his own if he had to be, yeah, just like yep, me and my vat of acid and my VHS collection, it, it feels a little superfluous. <laughs> well, I kind of assumed that the acid that he knew about the acid because of his Navy experience. I don't know if he actually says that or not. Anyway. Yeah, maybe I don't care about the Navy. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but but yeah, the I I I think his background pretty much serves like like the, I feel also the conspiracy theory part of it and like him being like a danger prepper and everything. I feel like that pretty much. I'm I'm fine just settling on that. Like unless there's yeah. something just blatantly makes no sense. 
Um, maybe like the radio. I don't know, like because she was getting radio frequencies in the car, but maybe the the radio down there is weird. I don't, I don't know. Like, there's little. There's. Little I mean, I don't think we could trust that that radio was necessarily built to work. That could have yeah, just not, been not a prop mention, to convince her. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. and not to mention the car. Like he kept the cars and the helicopters thing. He was pretty much just brushing off, saying like, mm-hmm. "Who cares?" And um, it's Russia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I kind Ruskies. of wanted it to be Russia. That would have been interesting. The Martians, <laughs> the Ruskies. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's yeah, not zombies uh, though. That's implausible. Yeah, implausible. <laughs> um, oh yeah, and the thing that you mentioned, Christian, about the like it, she being so hasty to take off the suit and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the birds didn't get it. That yeah. means I'm fine. Yeah, you know. And it's just like, what if it's like something that reacts like within ten minutes or just towards yeah. humans or like. Yeah. Right. I feel like half, like World War Z, half of that was Brad Pitt with Brad Pitt with a concerned face, running around and. <laughs> surviving miraculously and then mm-hmm. the other half was them trying to explain how this how rabies did this and, and stuff and <laughs> i feel like that made a lot more sense but but like this the ambiguity really helps and i mm-hmm. feel like it kind of kills the ambiguity but negligible i mean it's like towards the end and mm-hmm. all the rest of the movie is so great so it's so great oh yeah i feel bad Definitely. talking about the flaws because it's, it's really so great oh. yeah definitely recommend you don't have to watch cloverfield you don't even have to know what Cloverfield Paradox yeah. is. Just I, don't know. I, I don't know. It's not worth it. Paradox it has that one guy from IT Crowd, which is like a really small. It does. That I really like. I mean, he's 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 funny in it, but he yeah. feels so out of place because he's <laughs> making jokes about his severed arm after his arm, like spoiler alert, you little yeah. goober. Christian, are you ever going to watch the Cloverfield Paradox? I might. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll add it to my watch list just to spite you. All okay. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what's our next thing now? We can review. Uh, we can review. We I think. Review. Um, now I think. I mean, I'll jump in first if you guys don't mind. I know. I, I feel like I've been jumping in first a lot this evening. Um, but I just went to see Alex Garland's Men. Um, now, uh, <laughs> first off, I want to. I want to preface here that a lot of the men audience and critical <laughs> reaction to this has seemed to be very much divided by what men think of it and what women think of it. Well, the movie's um, called at least, Men. At so. least in the circles <laughs> that I have discussed it. Um, so, obviously, if you can't tell from my voice, I am a man. Um, <laughs> you never know. Um, no, this is true. I, sh- I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, pretend that it's obvious or anything like that. Um so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to invalidate any criticisms that that any women who don't like this movie uh, may have against it. But I personally really really enjoyed this film. Um, I think that it really functions well as a horror film, and in, in, in particular, every decision made here seems so deliberate, um, right down to like the depth of field in certain shots, the amount of color used throughout. Uh, the lighting, character choices. Uh, I mean, Rory Kinnear, who plays all of the men in this film, um, is fantastic. He he absolutely convinces as being all of these different people. Um, and I know a lot of people have thrown uh, the the criticism at the film that it well it it doesn't have anything new to say about the issue of the divide between the sexes and the issue of uh, chauvinism against women and whatnot, and I, I, I mean, I don't, 
really think that it, it needs to say something new about that. Now that that's my point here is I think a horror film, if it's and now if this film was a drama about a husband and a wife who were dealing with uh, sexism in their relationship or something like that, then I'd absolutely say that if it's not going to bring something new to the table, then something like that seems kind of cheap and a little unnecessary. But since this is a horror film that's drawing on those kind of ideas as a source for its scares and its tension and its narrative pressure, I feel like the degree to which it is successful in creating those scares and that narrative pressure and that tension using that original source is how it should kind of be judged rather than it bringing something new to a table that's not really trying to sit at necessarily as much as it's trying to comment on, if that makes any sense. Um, I, a comparison I would make is I don't feel like somebody would watch Hereditary and come away saying, so family trauma is bad, tell me something new. <laughs> like I, I, I feel like that kind of criticism is really reductive, and, and I think like you could say that about any movie. You could go into almost any film that deals with some kind of a conflict that we also deal with in reality and come away going, oh, uh, well, well, okay, come, I came out of Black Panther and my criticism was, oh, so racism is bad? Pff, tell me something new. <laughs> like, I, I feel like that's a really reductive way of looking at a film that deals with issues in reality. And Wakanda's um, not even And real, I so. personally don't feel that that's an especially valid criticism. Now, again... I'm not trying to say that anybody who didn't enjoy this film is wrong. Uh, it, you were entirely entitled to not like this film, and you could entirely disagree with everything that I've said. I'm not trying to make enemies of anybody that we know who disliked this film, or anybody we don't know who disliked this film. I'm just going to say I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very effective piece of folk horror slash isolation horror. Um, I really love the imagery. I love the performances. And I thought it incorporated a lot of interesting uh, imagery based in English pagan folklore as well, uh, which I think may also have something to do with why its climax maybe isn't resonating especially well with American audiences who are maybe unfamiliar with that imagery. Uh, so four out of five for me, I thought it was a good time at the movies. <laughs> based in Zach. Wow, well, now that Zach is done mansplaining his way into his own grave, um, I'd like to discuss... A Rachel McAdams double feature. <laughs> I watched... <laughs> I'm, I'm in my Mr. Krabs era, okay? Leave me alone. Um, gosh, what did I watch? I watched The Notebook and Sherlock Holmes 2009. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Um, I think The Notebook is overhated. Um, it is certainly a cheesy rom-com and I could do without the framing device, which is uh, an older man is, is telling an older woman with uh, Alzheimer's their love story to try to get her to remember him. And um, against all medical expertise, it works for like five minutes and she's back with him. And that's like the emotional catharsis of the film. And that, that is kind of reaching for me. That is where I, I feel excess cheese. And, uh, you know, it's... It's, yeah, it's it's a Nicholas Sparks adaptation. I don't know what to tell you. But uh, I think Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams are really great in this. I mean, and they're so freaking young, man. This is from 2004. This is almost 20 years old now. And they are, just look like children. And 
They have really good chemistry. Um, and I think this, another reason this gets a lot of hate is they, they are kind of weird with each other. Like there's this scene where they're on the beach and she's like, I think I, if I weren't a person, I would be a bird. And then she asks him if she would be a bird. And he's like, if you're a bird, I'm a bird. And <laughs> yeah, it's stupid and weird. <laughs> but I'm an also, Apache helicopter. <laughs> My defense of that is I think that it's fairly common for friends and people that are romantically involved to get to a point of comfort with one another where they say and do weird things that would sound totally bizarre out of context. Like, I'm sure many of our inside jokes would make no sense to other people. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's not an inside joke, but I just feel like energies and the way people interact is always going to be a little different and off-putting uh, at their most intimate to other people that aren't in on it. So it worked for me. I gave it a 3.5. I think it's sweet and mostly effective. Um, mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes is also a 3.5 for me. Um, it is an action movie from 2009 with pretty great action. Um, that's mm-hmm. probably the biggest draw. I was kind of bored by by it for the first 20 minutes, but when McAdams entered, I got more invested, and eventually Downey and Law uh, grew on me. And I really do just see... I, I've talked about this on the podcast before, um, where like Elijah Wood is just always going to be Frodo to me. Um, Robert Downey Jr. is always going to be Tony Stark to me. He's, I mean, we've talked about how he was born to play that role, and it's hard to see past that. Uh, other actors, other roles of, of performers sometimes, and I struggled with that a bit here. But uh, it was fine. It was it was good. It was, you know, I, I think one of its strongest aspects is that it can appeal to basically anyone, really. Like, it's uh, it's pretty solid, like, action for most of the family. So, yeah, it was fun. I find it very funny that Nicholas Sparks claimed that he wanted to find somebody unknown and not conventionally attractive to play his romantic <laughs> lead in The Notebook. <laughs> so he hired Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Uh, well, we're in the three and a half streak right now. I gave you five seven one Memorial Day watch at uh, uh, yes. two point five out of five. Um, of course, Matthew McConaughey. Who else? Obviously, um, John Bon Jovi. You know, um, really? every time they're they're halfway to Periscope depth, he goes, "Whoa, we're halfway there!" <laughs> oh, no. And then and then Matthew McConaughey is like, "All right." I'm going to steal this 1942 Lincoln ride up and we're going to get those Germans. And then that's pretty much the whole movie. I'm just kidding. It it was a great time. Um, Apparently Tony Blair didn't like it very much, but I, I I liked it (laughs) just, just, just for context. um, One of the main plot points is the, uh, the, the Americans getting the Enigma machine and protecting it. And that it was the British that did that. So uh, Tony Blair, (laughs) uh, the prime minister at the time, uh, wrote to Bill Clinton and said, just to let you know, kids should not be taught about <laughs> submarine warfare and the Enigma machine and World War II history based on this movie. Take that, um, Zach. <laughs> but wow, man, like the freaking action scenes in this with like the fisheye lens and the intense like going all over the place. Every time a depth charge goes off, like everybody in the ship's just freaking just <laughs> rocking everywhere. And it just feels so realistic. And honestly... Like, the, the the naval procedures, I know Zach freaking hates na- naval procedures. I think they're, they're worked in here incredibly well. And I do think the characters are very hard to invest in, and I feel like that's also very conventional when it comes to these kinds of, like, you know, Americanized, you know, 
yeah, World War II, best time for Americans ever, German bad um, kind of <laughs> movies. And um, I, I think it really worked, and I think it's super engaging. And honestly, I, I definitely recommend it to anyone who's just, like, you know, up for, like, intense action. And I, I, I mean, I haven't seen Das Boot yet, which I definitely will. Um, but this definitely, like... It definitely stands out. I feel like the the action and the naval procedure and the and the the timing of the explosions and and just the the tenseness with like the sonar pinging and just like waiting for every depth charge and there's just so many different ways they take advantage of the setting being in a submarine and I think it works incredibly well, um, despite the the usual tropes that you would expect. So three and a half out of five. I thought it was like slightly better than average. Um, do I usually do munitions minute? Because I was not ready yes. for that. I, I don't. <laughs> I have no idea. John Goodman. What was his gun? He, he murks him. I don't know. It was like a magnum or something. But anyway, <laughs> that's it. Okay. We he can blows skip. his face off. Sad. Okay. okay. Um, shall, shall we go to the Marvelous Cinematorium? Yes. Yes. All right. Well, as you can hear from the mouth trumpet, uh, we have arrived at the Avengers. Um, Earth's Mightiest Heroes? No, that was the show. No. Um, uh, the Avengers, uh, known in the UK as Avengers Assemble, because there was a pre-existing television show from the 60s called The Avengers that's consistently pretty well known in the UK, so they didn't want to confuse people. Um, so this, I like I said last time, I remember when this came out, everybody going gaga for it. I remember it making tons of money. And looking back on it now, this film this film feels so small, um, mm-hmm. and in kind of a distracting way. Not in like a oh, I like how contained this is. Like it doesn't feel like Iron Man, where I like how concise it is compared to so many modern Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. It feels like a COVID movie almost, <laughs> where there are only like three or four people on a set for like the first half of the movie. Um, it's it's very odd. It feels like a TV show in that regard, which I think is maybe Reasons even a lot. <laughs> well, I th- I think it's it's like a, a a logical criticism to levy against the film because uh, uh, why have I forgotten his name? Uh, uh, Joss Whedon um, worked <laughs> primarily in television before this. I mean, he made Firefly, he made Buffy, he made Angel. Like it's a, an environment that he's comfortable working in and so i think in a lot of places this does feel like television um i think now that's not to say that it's bad i do enjoy it i give it a three out of five um and i think maybe it's felt the most like a comic book of any of the mcu movies so far Mm -hmm. uh this really i think kind of flows and a lot of the characters are introduced in i think the way that they would be in a marvel comic book Um, particularly something from, like, I think the Avengers initial run, which I read some of back in the day. Um, but I think particularly the way that Thor shows up in this movie, where they're transporting Loki by air, and then Thor decides, you know what, I should show up and do something about this. (laughs) And he kind of lands on top of the craft, and, and now he's part of the story. And, like, out of context, it feels kind of contrived, but while watching the film, you're sort of like, okay, Thor is here now, and you're on board with it. Um, what I will say is I think all the films in the NCU up until this point feel like uh, a character-based drama or an action movie or a fantasy movie that happens to have a superhero in it. And I think this is the first... <coughs> Pardon 
wait, I shouldn't smoke so much. This is the first MCU film joke. that... <laughs> joke, oh joke, guys. Joke. Um, this is the first MCU film that feels like a superhero movie first um, and any other genre later. So, And I, I do think that means that it, it suffers a little bit. Uh, one of the things I noticed in this is there's so much techno babble and so much exposition. As soon as the movie starts, it's just people saying, the Tesseract this and the Tesseract that, and why are we working on this project, and where did you come from, and who's Loki, and it, it, it's just so much, it's so front-loaded with, with all this information that you would need in a comic book context that just, I feel like none of the previous films did. Um, and the ending also kind of loses me because, and I was discussing this with my family, these massive army Marvel climaxes don't really mm-hmm. work for me, I think, yep. because you the only kind of idea you're given of the opposition is that it's basically infinite. And so nothing that anybody does feels especially significant in the battle because you don't get the impression that they're making any kind of a dent in the opposition. So it just feels like they're fighting on and on and on and on and on until eventually somebody does the one thing they were going to have to do the whole time in order to end the conflict. Um, I mean, most of these big army uh, Marvel climaxes, I remember thinking, why don't they just all attack the tower? Um, And and I think that holds true. Because then the aliens would swarm people and kill them. That's why the aliens are already <laughs> swarming people and killing them, and there are more yes, coming through the portal. Yes, they do that more. If they... Okay, Christian. Here's the thing: they never stop coming through the portal. So matter how, so no matter how many you fight, they're going to continue swarming and killing people. So taking out the portal sooner rather than later and limiting the number that can continue to come through is gonna make your job less. And end game, end game. Every single hero Perhaps. just goes directly for Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> like the balancing just get the balancing's not even not even there i mean who the man it's just not fair nothing's fair um in game, but. so yeah three out of five i don't think it's bad but this is definitely mid-tier mcu for me so far it's i think captain america's better uh this is my lowest rated three oh. out of five in the mcu so far um so better than incredible hulk and better than thor uh but both iron man films and Captain America are above this right now. Uh, next time is Iron Man 3, which I remember <gasps> really? really enjoying. Um, but it's there seems to have been a turn of the tide recently where a lot of people think this is like one of the worst films in the MCU. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see why that is, because uh, I remember liking this one a lot, I, liking uh, Shane Black's take on Iron Man, where it's basically just a lethal weapon movie. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we'll see what I think of that one next time. Yeah, I remember that one being uh, heavily rewritten and censored because of what they initially wanted to do with the Mandarin. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, um, yeah, the, the, it's time for the thingy now. The thingy. Yeah. I think so. Um, the rundown. The rundown. Yay! Um, a minute. Um, we're gonna quiz Mitchell. Zach is Zach. gonna. Zach's gonna. Zach's gonna start. Zach's gonna Zach. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, Zach, are you ready? Mitchell, are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. Cannibal Airlines. Four to five. Locking Mary. Locking her in your basement. <laughs> Three out of five. Removing Mary Elizabeth Winstead's clothing for some reason. 
Three out of five. Stockholm Syndrome. Four out of five. Begrudgingly established Molotov cocktail. Three out of five. Cookie cutter pocket dialogue. Five out of five. Bradley Cooper voiceover. Five Cameo. out of five. Fruit by the foot rations. Four to five. Monopoly. Four to five. Ducky shower curtain. <laughs> five out of five. This year cast formed. Three out of five. Films on DVD and VHS cassette. <laughs> five out of five. Shaving. Three out of five. Inexplicably unlimited generator power. Three out of five. Problem solving causing a musical mood. Two out of five. Girl. Three out of five. Little princess. One out of five. A cone. Three out of five. A bowl. Three One second, five. Santa Claus. Time. Five out of five. <laughs> oh, we had some uh, left over. Oh, boy. Darn. Yeah, okay, well, so... know what to do with those. <laughs> yes. When, when I co-write the rundown with uh, either Mitchell or Zach... There's almost always uh, one duplicate, and this time the duplicate was the duck shower curtain. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So good call, Mitchell. Nice. I knew it. <laughs> Am I previewing? These things the write themselves. One? I think so. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Pre the video. Okay. Yes. Uh, so we are uh, taking a journey in <laughs> Josh Radner wish fulfillment land <laughs> with oh. liberal arts, which is something of a staple for. Uh, Kenyan college students, um, myself oh. included. I'm doxing Can't myself wait. again. Um, this is starring, uh, this was written, directed, and starring Josh Radner, and also starring Elizabeth Olsen and uh, mm-hmm. a few other people. And he. I wonder where the budget it, went. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was from 2012, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, she was yeah, less yeah. of a huge name then. Um, he's, uh, he's a college graduate. He's like, 35 and he's sort of having a hard time getting over college and he meets this college girl and <laughs> stop talking about sure it sure like is this. a movie so <laughs> we're gonna talk about it and it's gonna be something <laughs> speaking of doxing ourselves um i will say loyola alumni loyola alumnus sorry singular mm-hmm. loyola alumnus tom clancy was featured in <laughs> ted cloverfield lane for three seconds <laughs> Oh, one of his books. books. On the shelf. Uh, oh, okay. very nice. Very anyway, nice. yes. Sorry, I still use under Christian. Liberal no, That was all I'd say. <laughs> yep. Well. And I go to USC. Yay! <laughs> Liar! Yay. Yay! Okay, this has been Cookie Pocket episode 66. Yes. Goodbye. All right, why do we keep saying Josh Radner like I should know who that is? Yeah.